Let us take the precious Word of God and open it again, once again, to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. The last Lord's Day, in preparation, we read Mark 5, and we saw the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for the Gadarene, the one soul of a Gadarene. Then we read John 4, and we saw the Lord's compassion for the woman of Samaria and for many of the inhabitants and citizens of Samaria. If you read Luke 15 last evening, you saw emphasized for an entire chapter the emphasis on one. One coin, one sheep, one prodigal. The shepherd, when he gets his one sheep back, even though he has 99 safe, He calls his friends together and celebrates the recovery of the one. A lesson there that Jesus loved sinners and that love for one sinner was worth it and justifiable. The woman who has ten coins, if she loses one, she makes diligent search of her house till she finds the missing coin, even though she still has nine. She calls her friends and rejoices that she has found the lost coin. In both cases, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. More so than 99 self-righteous and proud people who think they have no need of repentance, though they truly need more than the sinner. And they're in a predicament worse than the sinner because they think themselves righteous, which is a horrible plight to be in. We saw the emphasis in those passages, and I want to read to you again the text that we want the Lord to convict us about this morning. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. This verse is more than just a description This verse is God's call for us to be righteous men and women, boys and girls, by having fruit in our lives that provide life for others. This is God's call for us to be wise men and women, wise boys and girls, that win souls. We have a desire for souls. We pray for them. We live a life that's an example to them, and we labor for them. This is the lesson taught in Proverbs 11 and verse 30. All of that and more is implied in the words that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. A righteous man has an effect in this world. And that is that he bears the fruit of life to others. He saves them from a variety of deaths. So that they can live the abundant life that Jesus Christ planned for his children. A wise man wins souls. He doesn't live a life unto himself. He doesn't live for himself. He doesn't live an independent existence. He doesn't live sheltered off by himself. He pursues others and he wins their souls. Now many would take this text and use it to teach That the names in the book of life are there because of our efforts to win souls in various phases of salvation that we give all the credit to the Lord Jesus Christ for. This text is for us to labor for the conversion of souls that they can be saved from foolishness, sin, error, and darkness, and death to a life of joy, peace, happiness, light, truth, and the abundant life Christ intended. This is a call by God to each of us. We come into this house not to be entertained. We come here to be reminded from God's Word by what measure we should evaluate our lives. And one of those measures is what effect do we have on the lives of those around us that God brings across our path. As I taught last Sunday, they may be your children, they may be your spouse, your brothers and sisters in the flesh, your brothers and sisters in this church, 
colleagues, friends, or neighbors that God brings your way, are you a tree of life or are you a barren tree that provides life for no one? Do you win souls or are you just a lonely soul yourself? We must ask that and measure ourselves by the scripture. Father in heaven, without thy enabling power by the Holy Ghost, the word of God will fall on dead soil and there will be no fruit. But I pray that you will direct the word that you have given to us this day to fall on prepared hearts and that you will bless it and that it may bring forth fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, yea, even a hundredfold. Heavenly Father, stir up our selfish hearts and minds that we might have that compassion and care and burning desire and burden that the Lord Jesus Christ and our brother Paul had for the souls of others. Let us fulfill those two great commandments that you have given us and not neglect either one of them. That we should love thee, the Lord our God, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that we should love our neighbor as ourself. Help us, Heavenly Father. Do not let us be fruitless Christians, but let us be trees of life to others and let us win souls that they might stand here and hereafter, converted, confident, and ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our prayer. This is our calling. Help us, O Lord, to fulfill it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me repeat a few things from last Lord's Day and then go on. A measure of great Christians is their love for the souls of others. If you love God, you're only half a Christian. A great Christian not only loves God, but he loves others as well. He has a burning compassion and interest in the souls of others. It's a measure of our own hearts. We can tell how cold or warm our heart is our heart is by its affection for others. And so we want to measure ourselves that way because that's how the Lord tells us to measure. This is so simple. And yet, our flesh wars against the simplicity of the gospel. God has created you for two reasons and only two, and you are not one of them. God has created you for his own pleasure, and he has created you for the profit of others. We are to love the Lord our God, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the two great commandments. And in those two great commandments is summed up all the commandments. That is what God made us for. We get so wrapped up in our own little lives rather than getting outside them and caring about the souls of others. They should be a burden to us. It should be a heavy weight as it was to Paul. And so we want to examine ourselves before the Lord this day again and ask ourselves, are we as faithful in this obligation, in this privilege as we should be? It may sound trite to you, but I hope if you're spiritually minded, it's not trite at all. I hope that we might have men and women who would deserve this epitaph. He or she delighted in God above all others. He or she was a tree of life to all others. That would be a great and successful life. You delighted in God above all others, and you were a tree of life to all others. Those are the two commandments God has given us. And by those two standards, we have to measure our lives. Our spheres of influence begin at home, and they extend out from there to those that God puts in our path. Do you have affection for individual souls? Do you pray for them? 
Do you have a burden for them? Do you want to live an example, an exemplary life for them? And do you labor to save other souls, to help them? Each person in this assembly is a soul that God has brought across your path, from youngest to oldest, and we should care for each one of them. A few seconds given to some of our children will be remembered. And if we were all to do it, they would know that this is one special place where they are cared about. The highest definition of love is not sending a card that says, I love you. The highest definition of love is desiring the spiritual welfare of another soul and praying for it and laboring for it. The best thing that we can do for one another is to help each other live a successful, victorious Christian life and to be ready to stand before Jesus Christ because we shall all stand before Him and give an account of our lives. And if we truly cared about one another here in this room and those outside this room that He brings our way, we would want to help them be ready for that day because that will be the most problematic, traumatic, horrific day that we shall ever experience. Instead of worrying about whether we got them a card on their birthday or not, we should care about their souls. Are they ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ or not? Let me remind you from John chapter 15 of how the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to love others in many places. Faith is not the most emphasized grace of the New Testament. Love is. And the Bible even tells us so specifically that now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Love is the greatest measure of a child of God. And love is something that we want to follow our Savior in. He loved us, and we should love others. And he put it that way to us in John 15, in verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. This is my commandment. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is my commandment singular. This is the commandment that we have heard from the beginning. John would write in 1 John. This is the commandment that Jesus emphasized. That ye love one another. When you have that combination of words, one another, it is an individual responsibility of each church member each Christian to love each other Christian. One, another. One's singular. Another is singular. It doesn't say one others. It says one another. So within a body, we have so many relationships. Do we love those souls the way the Lord Jesus Christ told us to? And he went on to describe it, that you should love them as I have loved you. And his love for us included laying down his life for us. Greater love hath no man than this. This is the highest measure that Jesus was willing to lose his life for our lives. And you know what? We can lose our lives by serving the brethren. That's why I love that text that I said so many times last Sunday where Paul said, I am willing to spend and be spent. Though the more I love you, the less I be loved. That is a sacrificial lover of souls. That is the Apostle Paul. He is the one that's going to tell us before we can get away from him today, be ye followers of me. Right. We want to be like Paul. Amen. What a man. Greater love hath no man than, the, than he would lay down his life for his friends. Paul laid down his life for his friends, a living sacrifice. He burned himself out for the sake of men who ridiculed him, opposed him, resisted him. He is a blessed man. He is the holy example we are to follow. And we want to have that kind of view toward others. Look at Matthew chapter 9 as we consider our Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at a number of examples of him last week. 
We'll pass over those this week. And look at His compassion. Matthew chapter 9. I hope that as we consider our spouses, your spouse, your spouse is a soul. Your spouse is more than just a help meet for you. They're a soul. Do you care about your spouse and wanting them to be a better Christian? Your children are souls that the Lord has brought across your path. In fact, He's planted them firmly in your path. But they need more than just a warm place to sleep at night, three squares a day, and clothing on their back. They need care for their souls. These are the things, we've got to be burdened with this. Like the Lord was. Like Paul was. May the Lord bless us to that end. Look at Matthew 9.35. Matthew 9.35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. This is truly a ministerial passage. But, the, but ministers are no more than examples of what we all should be doing in our respective spheres. And that is having compassion on those that are wandering about, that appear to be lost and need to have a shepherd. He was moved with compassion. He just didn't state some compassion. It wasn't just described about him. It moved him. Right. And we should be moved. And we're not going to be moved unless we humble ourselves before God's Word and unless we are seeking Jesus Christ first in our lives so that His compassion is in our souls, we will not be moved. If we are all honest with one another, we only get moved for ourselves. Our great movements, when we're depressed or euphoric, are because something good has happened to us. And that is such a shame. We should be moved for the sake of others. You know, the Bible even tells us, rejoice with them that do rejoice. That means our joy is coming from others. And weep and mourn with those that weep and mourn. That means our compassion is moved when others are troubled. It's an outside look from ourselves. Do you remember what joy stands for? The three letters of joy create a nice acronym for Jesus, others, and you. And that is the order that a Christian ought to live. I was reminded this past week of something I preached to you a number of years ago, which is very rare for me, from the life of Gail Sayers. Gail Sayers has written an autobiography, and he wears a medal around his neck that he first saw on the desk of his coach at Kansas that said, I am third. And what a great statement that is. The Lord Jesus Christ is first, others are second, and I am last. And that is how we ought to live. And that is what the sense of the text is and of what we're considering. I am third. Jesus, others, and myself last. Do I care for the souls around me? Not in the ways that the world cares for them, but in a spiritual way. Do I care for their spiritual health and their spiritual progress and their spiritual growth? Am I doing my best to keep them back from sinning, lest they meet the displeasure and judgment of God? Look at Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is, is another of many examples, many examples of the Lord Jesus Christ showing compassion for individual sinners. From verse 36 to the end of the chapter, our Lord Jesus Christ is in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And a woman is there, a sinful woman from that city, who is at his feet, washing them with her tears and wiping his feet with the hairs of her head. And Jesus Christ, in front of everyone, instead of rebuking her, And telling her not to interrupt his supper. 
that he had more important things because he had a crowd assembled of important people. The Lord Jesus Christ defended her, forgave her, comforted her in front of Simon the Pharisee. When you read that passage, and we don't have time to read it all right now. There's so many of these in the scriptures. You should be familiar with them. Jesus had compassion on that one woman. And we want to have compassion on individual souls just as he did. In Luke chapter 19, we have a short little runt that's the object of attention and care from the Lord Jesus Christ. And his name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus couldn't see the Lord Jesus Christ as he passed through a throng in his city of Jericho. And so he climbed up into a sycamore tree where he could view the Savior as he passed by. But the Lord, with many clamoring for his attention, stopped, looked up into that sycamore tree, and addresses Zacchaeus and tells him to come down that I'm going to go to your house today to eat. One man, one sinner, and that one sinner comes out of that tree. The crowd murmurs against him, but he repents. And the Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 9, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And in this particular case, it was one man. You know, if he was as short as it appears by this passage, he had been the butt of many jokes. He was picked last in junior high for the for intramural basketball. But the Lord Jesus Christ loved him anyway and singled him out. That is the compassion our Savior has. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And in this case, That was focused on one man named Zacchaeus. Thank you, Lord, for such holy examples in the Scripture that stir our hearts and cause us to be thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ sought out even us. When I go to Acts chapter 8, and I wish you would as well, Acts chapter 8, which the last half of is about the Ethiopian eunuch, I want us to remember how the Ethiopian eunuch was discovered. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, we read, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. How in the world does a man who's reading his Bible and wants to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the God of that Bible better, how does he get an answer and help in the middle of the desert. Because the Lord Jesus Christ told his angel to tell Philip, go down there and be waiting in the desert between Jerusalem and Gaza. And there he found the Ethiopian eunuch. One soul, the Lord Jesus Christ does not fail. Amen. Now he it does have an omniscient mind and an infinite heart. But he hasn't asked us to worry about Ethiopian eunuchs that are in the middle of the desert between Jerusalem and Gaza because we don't even know that they're there. He has put souls right in your front of your eyes, right under your hands, at your table, at your address, in this church. And it's those that we ought to be stirred up for enough that we would put forth the kind of effort that Philip did going down into the desert, which he did willingly to obey the Lord. Look at Romans 10 again with me, so that we can see the words that the Holy Spirit uses to describe the Apostle Paul. Though Paul wrote these words, the Spirit of God approved of them and endorsed them and inspired them for our learning. Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He had a heart's desire. And so we must ask ourselves, do I have a heart's desire that anyone would be saved? And again, let me say for the second time, and hopefully I won't have to repeat it, the salvation here is not election, justification, regeneration, or glorification, but the salvation of conversion from ignorance about the finished work of Christ that elect Israel had not altogether learned and heard. 
Paul prayed for that. Paul labored for it. Paul tells us why he labored. Paul did not labor for non-elect Israel. He labored for elect Israel. I endure all things for the elect's sake. He knew that among Israel, there were more of God's children, but they were blinded to the gospel. And he was laboring for them. He said, if by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. What a burden he had. It's called his heart's desire. And that heart's desire led to prayer. We must ask ourselves, how many have we prayed for how many times recently? You know what words should come to your heart? God be merciful to me, a sinner. Because few of us are like the Apostle Paul. God be merciful to us. Do you have a heart's desire? And does it lead to prayer for the souls of others? That's what we want to consider. That's what the Word of God is telling us is our calling. Paul's our example. Paul is not the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was great, but he is not the Son of God. Paul had a sinful flesh like we do. And yet, the love of Christ constrained him to care about the souls of others. I've already quoted those precious words from chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, where Paul said that he was willing to spend and be spent. Do you know, sometimes you will spend toward a soul and you'll get nothing in return for it. You might spend so much that you'll eventually almost run out of energy. I have sometimes used the expression... It sucks the life out of my soul. But you know what Paul would do? When the life had been sucked out of his soul, he kept on spending. I am willing to spend and be spent for you, he said. Remember, I showed you that Timothy was an exceptional minister. And how did Paul rank Timothy as an exceptional minister? Because in Philippians 2, he said he is the only minister that is like-minded toward other people as I am. He is the only one that does not care for himself when it comes to the souls of the churches. What a great example that was. Look at John chapter 5. And let's, let's consider a few other examples that might stir us up. John chapter 5. John the Baptist had a burden. His ministry may have been limited. It may have been short. But he had a burden. And so we read about him in John chapter 5 and verse 35. Jesus said of him, He was a burning and a shining light. And ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. John the Baptist, he was a burning and shining light. He burst on the scene by the Jordan River and preached the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Baptized the Lord Jesus Christ. And laid the foundation along with Jesus For the church of the New Testament. Look at Daniel chapter 12. And let's encourage ourselves by what the Bible says. About those that turn others to righteousness. John the Baptist was one of them. John the Baptist was one of the great ones of them. Jesus said there is no greater man born of women. Than John the Baptist. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Speaking of those apostolic times of John the Baptist and others. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. They'll be like stars. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. This is God's inspired description of men who are soul winners. Because look what it says. It says, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. Wise men save souls, according to Proverbs 11.30. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. They make up the galaxy of God's kingdom of those beautiful men and women who cared about the souls of others and turned men to righteousness. Let us fulfill that. Even as a mother. Lois and Eunice did a wonderful job. Paul could say of Timothy, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Not from a child you had it, but from a child you've known it. Because those two had taught it. And that Timothy was full of faith. That followed the faith of a mother and a grandmother. 
Even a mother can be like the stars described here in Daniel 12.3 by turning their children or their grandchildren to righteousness. Do you care for their souls? So much effort we lay, we lay out for their clothing, their housing, their education, their entertainment. But above all those things, what about their souls? Amen. Do they love Jesus Christ? If they don't, why not? Have we done everything in our power to help them love Jesus Christ? Lois and Eunice did it. So women, when you look at a passage like Daniel 12.3, don't count yourselves out. Look at Hannah. Look what she did with Samuel. When she weaned the boy, I don't care how long you want to think she nursed him. When she weaned the boy and took him to the tabernacle, it says he worshipped the Lord there. That is a great mother. Who cares what his grade point average was, except in the scorebook of heaven? In comparison, there is no comparison. Did Samuel love God? Did Samuel fear God? All I want to do is stir up your your hearts and minds today. And I want to stir up mine. I want us to stand before the light of God's word and look in that mirror and see all the blemishes. And confess those blemishes to God and turn away from that mirror and make a difference and make a change in our lives. If we turn away from that mirror and continue on without changes, then we are fools. And we're hearers of the word and we're not doers. Oh, I pray for some blessed souls to look in that mirror and make some changes and for God to bless them in the doing of that deed. Do the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents? Then you don't have to be Billy Graham, do you? I speak as a fool even using him as an example. It isn't numbers. The angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. May we have that same affection for one. Look at Job chapter 4. Job chapter 4. Was Job a soul winner? Oh, the Lord wouldn't have bragged about him if he wasn't a soul winner. Yes, he was. Job. Oh, brethren, this is, not, this is not deep, but it's difficult. Do you know why it's difficult? Because we're lazy, fearful, selfish, and proud. Lord, save us from all four of those vices. Job 4. Here's what Eliphaz had to say about our brother. Job 4, verse 3. Behold. Thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. You know, as much as Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar wanted to pick on Job, they had to admit a few things about him, that his reputation was a soul winner. Job 4, verses 3 and 4, that's soul winning. That's Bible soul winning. If you stand in doubt as to what Bible soul winning is, let me jump way ahead of myself and say James five nineteen and 20. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one, one, convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Right. There isn't anything there about eternal life. That isn't heaven. That isn't the book of life. That's brethren. And it's a one-on-one thing. Let him know. James, the last two things I want you to write, or the last thing I want you to write in the last two verses of your epistle is to tell men that save souls what a noble and great thing they've done, and then you can close out your epistle. Those are the last two verses. Do you know James 5? Yes, I'm looking at you. Do you know James 5? Adam? Yes. Brethren, if any of you, that's soul winning. Holding a, holding a brother back from error. Getting him to repent and confess his sins. Getting him back in the way of righteousness. Job did it. We want to be like Job. We're in, the, we're in the house of God this morning to be reminded by the word of God, by looking in the mirror, whether we measure up or not. Do we care about the souls God has brought into our lives? John chapter 1. 
John chapter 1. This is, this is one of my favorites. The Lord greatly convicted me and touched me by this particular passage. And I hope that it might you as well. John chapter 1. John the Baptist is being described here. And he saw, in verse 34, he saw and bear record that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God. Uh, verse 35 is where I'm going to start reading. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. John the Baptist lost some disciples this day. Why? Because one greater than John had arrived. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And two of those disciples heard their master, John the Baptist, say, Behold the Lamb of God. And they quit following John and went after Jesus. And one of them was Andrew. And they came after Jesus and Jesus said, What are you, what are you looking for? What, what are you following me for? Where dwellest thou? They wanted to know where Jesus lived. Where he stayed, because they wanted to follow him. And Jesus showed them where he stayed. But the, the word I want you to notice is, in verse 41, he first findeth his own brother. Andrew could not enjoy having, been, having identified the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, without sharing it with his brother. He first findeth his own brother. And what were his words? We have found the Messiah. The rest of those words are not his. The rest of those words are the narrator of the Holy Spirit telling you what the word Messiah means. We have found the Messiah. He didn't have to explain that to Peter. That's an explanation for you. We have found the Messiah. Isn't that the greatest bond that we have? We have found the Messiah. I have a brother in here. And we had parents that showed us the Messiahs. But I can remember in the early 80s when we reminded each other that we were not living the way that we should for the Messiahs. And that we had better be more faithful to him. Every brother and sister in here, the greatest gift you have to give to a brother or sister is to encourage them to follow the Messiahs, the Lord Jesus Christ. The anointed one of God, the high king of heaven, the apostle and high priest of our profession, the bishop of our souls, the great shepherd, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the blessed and only potentate, the lamb of God, the propitiation for our sins. He is everything. Amen. And that's the most important thing that we can give someone else. Right. And Andrew gives us an example here of a one-on-one -on -one relationship of caring for the soul of his brother. We have found the Messiah. Do you know how long they've been waiting for the Messiah? 4,000 years. Since the God of heaven had told the devil, the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. We have found the Messiah. Right. Poor John the Baptist. His followers were going down, but the followers of Jesus Christ were going up. Do you think John the Baptist minded? Do you know what he's going to tell us in a, two chapters later? He must increase, but I must decrease. Amen. He didn't mind at all. Master, where dwellest thou? Do you see Andrew's heart? Is your heart 
Where does Jesus Christ dwell? That's because Andrew loved the Lord Jesus Christ, but Andrew also loved his brother Peter. He first findeth his brother Peter. Now, boys and girls that are brothers and sisters, do you really love your brothers and sisters? Don't tell me about the fact that you bummed some money off your parents to buy them a birthday present. That isn't love. That's a cheapskate. Love is wanting to tell your brothers or sisters about Jesus Christ. Right. I'm sorry I haven't been a better brother. Brother. I love this example. We have found the Messiah. You know, brothers get together and they celebrate so many things. They say so many things. I've had this. I've got a promotion. I'm going to get married. I got a new car. So many things. And none of it, or all of it, I should say, added up together, can't come close to this. We have found the Messiah. But in, in glorious John chapter 1, it doesn't end there. Let's keep reading. Verse 43. The day following. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip. And saith unto him, follow me. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Look at Philip. Philip's of the same spirit as Andrew. The Lord Jesus says, follow me. You know, that, those words alone should be exciting. That Jesus Christ, the son of God, had picked Philip to follow him. But no, Philip didn't want to just enjoy that himself. He went to go get Nathaniel. And then, of course, we have the exchange between Nathaniel and Jesus. But that's not my point right now. The point is, Philip went to show someone else about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I fear that we're too interested in other things among ourselves rather than we have found the Messiah. Or we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We have the answer to the word of God, the savior of men. We've identified him. I found him, Nathaniel. You've got to come and meet him. You know, Nathaniel was a skeptic. But the Lord Jesus Christ can take care of skeptics. And Philip got him there anyway. Just notice that. We don't know whether he handcuffed him or convinced him. He was a skeptic, but he got him there anyway, and the Lord Jesus Christ took care of the rest. Oh, brethren, these examples that are in the Bible, and there's so many of them, of souls, of the saints loving other souls. Look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. You know who's in Acts chapter 10. Did Cornelius love the souls of other men? Yes, he did. Acts chapter 10 and verse 24, Peter finally makes it to Caesarea. Acts 10, 24, and the morrow after they entered into Caesarea. And Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. He had his family there. He had his family tree there. His kinsmen and his near friends. His best friends already feared God would listen to him to come and meet a Jew coming from Joppa to preach to them. This is a God-saved man. This is a man who feared the Lord with all his house. He got his kinsmen and his near friends together. Now Peter walks in. Verse 27 is Luke's narrative for us. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. Cornelius was busy. Cornelius was busy out to get others of his kinsmen and his near friends. Now notice, he did not go down the street with free offers of fish fillets from McDonald's to fill a bus. He went to his house. You know, I've I've found out that several of you have been involved in that in the past. Had a conversation last week with Brother Jamie Stull about doing that very thing. 
look, look at where Cornelius went. And the, the Bible, if we will read the whole Bible, we will be saved from a burden that we cannot bear. Right. He went to his house and got his family tree and his near friends. Those are the ones he brought home. He did not go out in the street and cast pearls before swine by telling them about Peter or about God himself. But he went and got his family and his friends. What an, another great example that we have in the Word of God. How about Acts chapter 18? Acts chapter 18. Verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Now, when you read the resume of Apollos in verses 24 and 25, listen, this Jew was born at Alexandria, the center of learning of the world, that part of the world at that time. He was an eloquent man. He was mighty in the scriptures. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit, and he spake and taught diligently. That is quite a resume. And, but Aquila and Priscilla did not sit back and say, great, there's another, there's another good Christian brother. They saw that he was lacking in a few areas, and so they took him home and showed him the way of God more perfectly. I know that some of you have done that toward neighbors. I know that you've made efforts to do that. This is an example from the Word of God again. One man, a husband and a wife team. That's why you want to marry someone that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. That together the words, we have found the Messiah, will be as meaningful to them as it is to you. That's the only way a team like that can work. Otherwise, you've got a wife at home or a husband at home that has no care for the things of God. And it dilutes and defeats your purpose. May God bless you to marry wisely. Oh, do I need to tell you about the elder to the elect lady? Do I need to tell you about the elder to Gaius? Do we need to go and look at other examples of individuals that were, that were loved by the great saints of the New Testament? The Bible is full of these examples. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6. This is Bible soul winning. This is a commentary or a cross-reference on James 5. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. The bottom line of those five verses which I have preached before is spiritual men, truly spiritual men, more than just those who think they are spiritual, but truly spiritual men go after individual cases where a brother has been overtaken in a fault and they restore him. They bear one another's burden. It's a one-on-one work of saving souls and turning them back to righteousness. That is Galatians. If we think that we're something, we're nothing. We should be servants to the, to the brethren and, and children of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we want to prove that we're something, then prove it. Don't tell us about it. Show us by your soul winning. How many souls have been won to love Jesus Christ more because they knew you? How many? How many? We have to ask. Otherwise, we're, you know, we're going to prove that our work is very small. Those over there in Daniel 12, it says they turn many. And of course, the apostles did turn many to righteousness. But we can turn some ourselves. Who? Who loves and is following and diligently serving the Lord Jesus Christ today? Because of your influence. Psalm 34. 
Psalm 34, verse 11. And fathers, when you come together again with me on Wednesday evening, oh, let's call upon the Lord together. Let's offer up many prayers that God will have mercy upon us being the fathers that we should be. Here is a soul-winning father. Psalm 34, 11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Children, come to me. Not at supper time. Not let's play ball. Not I'll help you get a job. Not I'll help you do your homework. Come, ye children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This is what we must do as fathers. Teach the fear of the Lord to our children. They are souls that God has given us for which we are responsible. Do you know what Hezekiah said when the Lord gave him 15 more years? I'm glad I have 15 more years to enjoy the riches of being king of Judah. No. This is what he said. The living. The living. He shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. You've given me 15 more years. I'll praise you. And I'll teach those you've given me about the truth. That is why we want a long life. By the way, for those of you that are ever afraid of death, the number one prayer in the Bible for an extension of life is, Lord, my tongue in the grave cannot praise you. I cannot tell anyone else about you if you put me in the grave. Give me life and I'll teach others. And that's what Hezekiah said here. Parents, not only should you love your children and their souls... And consider the highest goal in your life with them to teach them to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is that the case, but have you taught your children to love souls? Or do your children live for themselves? Or are your children servants of others? It is not enough for you just to teach them to love the Lord. You need to also teach them to love others, to be selfless, sacrificial servants Like the Apostle Paul was. That is part of our duty as parents. Oh, brethren, look at Proverbs 13, 14. Are you ready to open your mouth and use it with others? Soul winning is done by our lips. It's done by our mouth. It's our words. What words do you offer the world? What words do you offer your friends? The words that come out of your mouth, are they good words? Do they stir people up? Proverbs 13, 14, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. The law of the wise. Here's a wise man that winneth souls. When he opens his mouth, a law comes out of them based on the word of God that is a fountain of life to deliver people that are on their way to death. Death in all sorts. Physical death. By dying prematurely but through living in sin. Death toward fellowship with God. Because a law comes out of your mouth based on the word of God for them. Look at 15.4. Proverbs 15.4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Oh, thank you, Solomon, for giving us a cross-reference to Proverbs 11.30. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. And what a difference that is in that verse. What is our tongue like? Do the words that come off our tongues and out of our lips, are they a tree of life? Or are they a breach in the spirit? Do they cause division and strife and differences between men? Are they a breach or are they healing? Are they a tree of life or are they perverse? Look at chapter 10. This book of Proverbs is full of it. After all, this is where we started. This is where Solomon spoke of the righteous being, the fruit of the righteous being a tree of life and a wise man winning souls. Chapter 10 and verse 11. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Saying wicked things, evil things, slandering, hurting, dividing, instead of healing. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. Anyone can come to a righteous man and either pick the fruit off his limbs, then he's a tree of life. In this case, he's a well of life, and they can take and dip and drink. 
and their lives will be improved by God's estimation of their lives because they're a well of life. Are you a well of life? He delighted in God above all others. He was a well of life to all others. Oh, brother, Lord, help us to be that. Look at verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. Many fools are never given righteous advice, but the lips of the righteous feed many. Do your lips feed many? With righteousness. God, God has brought you a church. He's brought you a family. You can't get into this world and be alive without a family of some sort. He's brought you colleagues. You can see God will bring people across your path. Do your lips feed many? You need to prepare. Or your lips aren't going to feed many. In both testaments it tells us that we are to have the certain words of truth fitted in our lips So when people come and ask us questions, we can give them the certain words of truth and answer. We don't waffle around. We don't, I think, I believe, we have certain words of truth. You can go and look this up in the Word of God, or you can pull the Word of God out of your briefcase, out of your desk, out of your backpack, or wherever you have it, and show them the certain words of truth to answer their questions. Your lips can feed many, and they should feed many. The Bible tells you in 1 Peter 3.15, and that is not a pastoral epistle. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. How often? Always. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23. David was a soul winner, but David had his soul won by another soul winner. Jonathan and David. 1 Samuel twenty three sixteen puts it this way. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. There is a real friendship. Jonathan and David helping each other be great in the sight of the Lord. It wasn't Jonathan strengthening David's hand professionally, educationally, financially, nutritionally, or in all the other lees that we can come up with. It was Jonathan strengthening David's hand in God. Our communication, we should always be asking, am I doing something for this person's soul? Yes, we have other things to talk about. We have other things to rejoice in. But we should be asking when we're in a conversation, when we're exchanging emails, am I helping this person's soul? Right. Am I strengthening their hand in God? If someone rebuffs you, and you will be rebuffed, there are those who do not care. If you are rebuffed, instead of asking God if you should call fire down from heaven on them, like James and John with a village of the Samaritans, Do you know what Jesus did? He just went to the next village. Is there wisdom in that for us? Instead of getting discouraged and angry, we just move on to the next piece of ground. We move on to the next soul. There's enough. If you run out of souls, call me. And I'll help you think of the next one. And if you get rebuffed on one hand, then turn to another. That's what the Savior would do. If they don't want it, every man shall bear his own burden. But you will have cleansed your hands. If you've been fearful, lazy, selfish, or proud, confess it to God and He'll forgive it. If I've been fearful, lazy, selfish, or proud, I should confess it to God and He'll forgive it. We should examine ourselves in the mirror of God's Word this day and realize that we have not had the heart's desire, nor the prayers, nor the labors, nor the giving, nor the sacrificial care for souls that Paul had. We fall short, and yet the Lord tells us to follow Paul and his son, Jesus Christ. Don't preserve your life. Those who try to preserve their life will lose it. Lose your life for Christ's sake, and you'll find it in the fullest sense. This is what Jesus teaches us. As I said last Sunday, get out of your comfort zone and into Christ's serving zone. 
pursue others, no matter, it doesn't matter whether it is a strange thing to you, if you have bad habits, if you have a warped personality, unwarp it. Model your personality after the Bible, which is to love one another and to serve one another. Who are you going to pursue and pray for? Who are you going to build your heart's desire for? We have lots of souls. We have lots of souls with our last name. We have lots of souls in this church. Who will you pray for and labor for? Can you grasp at all if we were all to do this? How we would all grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? If every joint and every part supplied that which it is able to supply and contributed that which it can contribute toward the compacting of of body, how blessed we would be. I hope there are some Job's, some Andrew's, some Philip's, some Aquila and Priscilla's in this church, some Lois's and Eunice's that will take care of their children, their spouses, their family, their kinsmen, their near friends, their brethren, and those that the Lord puts in your path, that you will be a well of life, that you will be a tree of life to others, and many can be fed and benefit thereby and have the abundant life that Jesus Christ intended if all of us would do our duty by sharing that life when we have opportunity. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word to the change in our lives. Amen.